So, we're in the, the kingdom beatitudes, or the kingdom manifesto, looking at the beatitudes, I should say. And, and, and you know, this is really, going through the beatitudes, I mean, it wasn't really purposeful. It really wasn't. But as, as we're going through them more and more, there's so much of what we're doing in the beatitudes that aligns with um, growing in emotional and spiritual maturity, right? growing into the way of Jesus, seeing what defines those who are followers of Jesus. And, and really, this is about us desiring that the kingdom of God would be advancing in our lives, that the proclamation of God's kingdom, that the good news has come, and it's such good news, that as that's advancing in our lives, we are becoming these kingdomized people these beatitude people that are exhibiting these qualities in our lives and embracing them for our lives with Jesus. And, I mean, there's so much there that's so good. And so we're in uh, the third beatitude this morning, Matthew 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, it says, for they will inherit the earth. Um, And again... When we talk about blessed, right, just a reminder, what does it mean? It, it really, part of what it means is that we are in sync. In sync are the meek with the kingdom of God. God's giving us a big right on. When we're, when we're walking as people who are meek, he's saying, right on, you are embracing my kingdom for your life. Now, the question though is, what, like, what do you think of someone who is referred to as meek. When, when, like, think about throughout your life or when you've heard that term, what do you think we've been conditioned to think when we think of meekness in our culture? And, and I, don't, I don't think it's a great connotation. Right? I think a lot of what we've been taught and conditioned to think when it comes to meekness isn't all that great. We think of people who are meek as being pushovers or one that gets walked over, someone who's spineless, um, you know, there's no courage or conviction, doesn't, they don't, people like this, they don't stand up for themselves. It's not really, you don't hear meekness being a quality that is embraced or praised in the world around us. Sound familiar? We've been blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, and you're like, None of this sounds like qualities that the world embraces. And Jesus is like, embrace it. You're in sync with my kingdom. There's lots of negative images, though, that are triggered around this word in our world. And nothing of that, nothing of that is what Jesus is speaking of here. And we'll get into this. But, you know, I I have my own negative image that is triggered in me when I think of meekness and for years, how I misunderstood the word or how I viewed it in myself. During my, my school years, at one point, I happened to be really small for my age. Some of you know I had a really late growth spurt. And so I was small, really small for my age. And there was this kid in my grade who was really big. And he had liked to bully kids because he had a lot of anger issues that he wasn't dealing with. And so one day, he thought it would be fun to take me and hang me upside down from the fence in the schoolyard. And that was fun for him. And, you know, I at the time wasn't one that was going to fight back because I would have gotten pummeled by him. 
uh, he, he had some super anger issues. And, but you can imagine, that happens to me, right, how humiliating and embarrassing that whole situation was. I mean, there's parts of it where I remember it. There's other parts of that whole day I don't remember because I actually think I literally just repressed it because it was so, so humiliating for me as a young guy. And that, when that happens, right, because there was a bunch of kids that saw it, it was like this big thing, hard to live down, right? It's hard to live that down when that happens to you. And what, what I was mainly, what I felt is that I was seen as weak that day. And I associated meekness with weakness for years. And, and I, it's interesting because as I got older and then I grew and just, you know, got older in a, in a number of ways, I resolved I would never be put in that position again. Like, I know in myself, I resolved, like, that will never happen to me again. It doesn't matter what, that will never happen to me. That's not healthy either when you do that. When, when we speak of the Beatitudes not being natural qualities that we produce within ourselves, that, like, this, once again, it's so true when we speak of being meek because we don't we don't naturally lean into these qualities of what jesus is speaking of here the word translated here meek in the greek is preus it's it's a term that's so interesting in that it was used it was a term that was used to describe the domestication of animals who accepted the control of their master who came under the control of their master it also speaks of individuals who graciously cooperate with proper authority. The Greek philosopher Aristotle, when he spoke of meekness, as the, he spoke of it as the middle between anger and indifference. He said it's the middle between excessive anger on the one hand and the inability to show anger on the other hand. Now remember, Jesus did get angry, right? But he didn't sin in his anger. The theologian William Barclay on this, he noted, he said, Blessed is the one who is angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. Imagine that. Like to be in that, to, to live your life like that. To never be angry at the wrong time and always be angry when you're supposed to. At injustice or when there's something that needs righteous anger. I think another way of, of understanding meekness would be settled contentment amidst the storms of life or strength under control. Now, there's, there's only two individuals that are referred to as meek in the Bible. You want any, any guess who that, those two individuals are? Only two. Any guesses? First one, any guess? Jake? Nope. <laughs> Good though. He, he's, he's, he'd, be on the, he'd probably be on the top five. Noah? Nope. See, this is, this is it's, I mean, you might go, there was, there was qualities of meekness in those individuals, right? But they never were referred to as meek. Jesus is the second, yes. Jesus is the one. He referred to himself as it. The first one was Moses. Moses in, in 12 verse 3. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Speaking of him being meek. And Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty nine, right? He would where he says, I am meek or gentle and humble of heart. 
or humble in heart. And there's a third individual who also spoke at length about meekness in the New Testament. Any guesses? Don't be afraid to be wrong. Any guesses? Someone who in the New Testament spoke extensively about meekness. Wrote a lot, too. (laughs) That's a good guess, right? Yeah, Paul. The Apostle Paul spoke a lot about meekness. And I'll come back to him in a bit. But in this beatitude that Jesus is talking about, he's actually, he's drawing back to Psalm 37. It's actually a verse right in the middle of, well, not kind of in the beginning of Psalm 37, but verse 11 in Psalm 37 where it says, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Psalm 37 is actually, it's one of the most helpful parts of scripture to try and help us understand the depth of what does it mean to be meek beyond just this one verse. And throughout Psalm 37, it's interesting because it speaks uh, a lot of the meek and others and, and how we, they're inheriting the earth or the land. So there's this, this running theme throughout Psalm 37 of inheriting the land, inheriting the earth. And many scholars, they agree that Jesus was intentionally drawing back to Psalm 37 when he mentioned this in the Beatitudes. And, that, and, and the scholars say that they believe that Jesus did that because the scope of Psalm 37 gives us a wider interpretation of what it looks like or what it means to be meek. The phrase, inherit the earth or land, it's repeated throughout Psalm 37. It links it all together. And, and you know, it's, it's throughout this psalm that, that David, like he's, if you read Psalm 37, and we won't, it's 40 verses long, but if you read that psalm, especially through the middle part of it, David is wrestling with the Lord over the success of those who ignore and disobey God. Like, why? how can this be? And in the midst of that is Psalm 37, verse 11. The meek shall inherit the earth and delight themselves, delight themselves in abundant peace. And, and around that, that verse, the psalm begins to unpack and speak of what defines the meek. So verse 1 says, The meek do not fret. Also, It's also in verse 7 and 8 where it mentions that they do not fret. Literally means, that, that wording there means, do not get heated. They don't get heated. The meek don't get, they don't, they don't get hot under the collar, so to speak. Right? So the question is like, what, what gets you heated? Everyone's like, no, I, nothing, 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 nothing ever gets me heated. No, no, no. What gets you heated? There's stuff that gets all of us heated, right? That gets under your call. The heat gets under your call. You feel your body actually, like something happens and you feel your body responding. You're like, I'm getting, I'm getting upset about this. I'm fretting over this. Could be, could be small stuff, right? Could be there's bigger stuff that we get heated about. You know, there's the stuff that even if it's small, it just starts compounding and it feels like we just, we keep getting more and more heated. And we struggle not to react. Anyone there? Any of you ever like in your life where you're like, I struggle at times not to react? No? No one? (laughs) We all struggle at times whether to not react. So it says, the meek don't fret. Verse 3, the meek trust in the Lord and do good in the face of evil. Second half of the verse. I'm just actually going to, I just want to make sure I have my Bible alongside me here. So I'm just going to, I want to make sure Psalm 37 is in front of me. 
So the meek trust in the Lord and do good. And the second half of that verse in verse 3 is that they, it tells them to feed on faithfulness, which is so interesting. Faithfulness to the Lord feeds our trust in the Lord. Number Verse 4, the meek delight in the Lord. So our, our way or our purposes or our lives, it says there, are established when we delight in God's way. When we find delight in God and in his goodness. You know, gratitude and contentment, they are the secret sauce, if you will, in contentment. Gratitude and thankfulness. Being intentional in our lives to practice gratitude no matter what is going on. Being intentional to be thankful and to, rem- and to remind ourselves and to thank the Lord for what he's done in our lives and what he's doing. Verse 5 says, The meek commit their way to the Lord. Speaks again there of trusting in the Lord once again. And, and, and what's so interesting about that word is where it says they commit their way to the Lord. It literally means there that the meek roll into the Lord. That, that everything that you're going through, you roll it into the Lord. You roll it up into him. It's an impacting image, isn't it? When we're going through things that we roll into the Lord. Stuart Briscoe, he expands on this. He says, the meek roll their lives, their cares, their reputations onto the Lord and let the Lord worry about it all. The meek are those who, when offended, commit their wounded ego and the one offending their ego to the perfect judge. The meek can say to oneself, what they did to me was wrong, but they are answerable to God, so I'll let God deal with them. But I am answerable to God too, so I'm going to concentrate on doing right by them. Verse 7 says, The meek are still before the Lord and they wait patiently for him. To be still or to rest in the Lord is to stop, to quiet oneself, to be silent. But, but alongside this, what's so interesting in this verse is that to wait here is not passive. The sense is actually to wait expectantly on tiptoe. It doesn't mean to wait passive. It means to, that, that we are expecting God to move or expecting him to vindicate. There is a readiness on our part as we're waiting for him that he is going to move. And so it's both the practice of silence and solitude before God, waiting on him, but waiting with readiness and expectation that he is going to move. There's also the sense in verse 34 of this too where it speaks of waiting for the Lord and to keep his way. It's an active waiting that calls for great courage not to act too quickly in life. Not to be hasty in acting. Verse 8 talks about how the meek refrain from anger. It's because of, of this contentment that's taking root in us as a result of our trust and our delight and dependence on God. And so we're making decisions in our lives to refrain from anger, to forsake wrath. It says there, to get worked up and fret only tends to evil. And so it's the need to consistently remind ourselves to pause and wait. Don't react. Wait. Trust, delight. 
Delight in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Don't react. Verse 30 talks about how the meek keep God's word in their heart. It's, it's the storing up of God's word in our hearts. So it's not just reading the word. It's meditating on the word. It's thinking about the word. It's memorizing it. It's keeping it close at all times so that it's in our hearts. It's in our minds. It's quick when we are in times where we are struggling and that God's word is close to us. It's combating negative tendencies and thoughts that all of us deal with, right? All those, those negative thoughts and tendencies that, that want to press up against us day in and day out going. When, and when we feel triggered, we feel that happening. And in those moments, we keep God's word close. And then lastly, Psalm 37, verse 40, the very last verse, it infers that the meek take refuge in the Lord. We cling to the Lord. He's our stronghold. You know, it's, that, that's an interesting picture, right? When it talks about God being our stronghold, there's, there's a part of that image is that we are, we're staying within his walls. God is our stronghold. I am staying within the walls that God has. I'm not wanting to venture out. He's my stronghold. We press into prayer for the promise of his help and deliverance. So there's, there's a lot there. There's a lot in Psalm 37 that we can really draw from when we're learning what does it mean to be meek? What does it mean to embrace meekness? And it's rich in helping us gain godly perspective on how we understand this and how meekness is formed in us. So mentioned before that the Apostle Paul, he wrote a lot about meekness. He wrote a lot about it but the Apostle Paul never, ever referred to himself as meek. Although, and, and it's interesting though, because he wrote of his deep desire for meekness, but he never once would declare himself as being meek. I think, I think that was part of Paul's humility. How, you know, when he talked about himself being the chief of all sinners, when Paul, he had this humility, he realized how God had delivered him. And I, I, I personally think Paul did not want to make that claim knowing that Jesus himself had made that claim. And Paul going, I, I, don't, I don't think I can make that claim. But he spoke extensively about the desire for meekness and, and with it for the church as a whole. It was in, in 2 Corinthians 10.1, he, he, he says there, I urge you or I implore you, I entreat you by the meekness of Jesus. Like he's communicating his deep desire there to walk in the humility of Jesus. And, and then he, he goes on there in that passage in 2 Corinthians 10 where he's talking about how we're not living according to the standards of this world. He says we don't, we don't wage war as the world does. And, and it's, he's talking about how we understand the spiritual battle that we're engaged in. And then he, in that he goes, on to, he goes on to talk about taking every thought captive to obey Christ there in verse 5. But he, he begins that, talking about that, by imploring us by the meekness of Jesus. I, I, I'm, I, I'm struck by that. I'm struck that Paul begins, he frames that thought around the meekness of Jesus. 
He doesn't frame it around Jesus' power. He doesn't frame it around Jesus' might. He doesn't frame it around who Jesus, like all those things that's true of Jesus, like who he is, Lord of all things, over all things, Lord above all things on this earth. He's seated high above. He doesn't, that's not who he begins it. He doesn't frame it by that. He frames it with the meekness of Jesus. Colossians 3.12, we are, we're told there, part of a bunch of qualities, but we are to put on meekness. And within the context of Colossians 3, meekness is seen as evidence, part of the evidence of our love for others. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, where it lists the fruit of the Spirit. Meekness is part of the fruit of the Spirit operating in our lives. Meekness or gentleness. And that those, again, in the New Testament, gentleness and meekness are, that's an interchangeable word in the Greek. But there it talks about how meekness is part of those qualities that are naturally produced as a result of walking and living by the Holy Spirit. 1 Timothy 6, when he's writing to Timothy, and he says to Timothy to pursue meekness in his life. Titus, when he's writing to Titus, he's speaking to him in Titus 3 about uh, how to teach people, how to lead people. And he says, he teach them to always to be meek toward everyone. Paul speaks of meekness nine times in his letters. That's a significant focus for Paul. And he, and, he, and, he, and he speaks of it around, each time around the characters or the qualities that are meant to define followers of Jesus. That meekness is one of those things that just defines that we are following the way of Jesus. And I, and I think to grasp the significance of what Paul is pointing us towards when it comes to meekness and taking on the character of Jesus, we, we have to consider how we approach the New Testament. Big picture. And what, and what I mean by that is, um, in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, Dallas Willard, he spends a whole chapter unpacking that we don't just need to see Paul as a theologian. We need to see Paul as a psychologist, if you will. And, and the reason he says this is that we, don't, we shouldn't just be reading the New Testament as a list of theological beliefs to believe in, like where you have a list of beliefs, and you're like, I believe all this, this is what it says, and I, and I believe it. Yes, we, we are called to believe, but not just believe. Rather, what he says, what Paul's doing is he's inviting us into a way of life. That as he's writing in the New Testament, he's inviting us into a way of life. There is a way to live in pursuit of the kingdom that brings growth in our lives. And I think we have a tendency in our culture, because it's way easier, way easier to do this, to read the Gospels, to read the New Testament, and over-spiritualize everything. Like, we just, we just over-spiritualize, it sounds great, because then we simply, we make it about belief, we make it about doctrine, we make it about the things that we uh, attain, we, uh, ask, we uh, affirm, the things that we, we say, yep, we affirm that, we affirm that, we affirm that. But you can over-spiritualize it to the point that it actually has no impact on your life. There's no cost to your life. You're reading it, you're, you're saying, I believe this, yeah, it's in my memory bank, yeah, I know that verse, but it's actually making no difference in your life. It's possible to do that with the gospel. We don't actually, we, in that way, when we over-spiritualize stuff, we don't actually have to live the gospel in a way that calls us to radical surrender like Jesus talks about, like Paul talked about. 
And, I, and I, just consider for a moment Paul the Apostle, who he was and how he was transformed by the person of Jesus and his presence in his life. He was radically transformed, was he not? Paul wasn't just believing a list of like theological beliefs. He was radically, radically changed. Radically. And we have to not put Paul the Apostle on a shelf. He would, like Paul the Apostle would be, he would be absolutely taken aback if we were to put him on a shelf and go, look at that. Yeah, but I can't, I, that's not me. Like, like I can't, that, that's not me. That's, that's Paul the Apostle. If you read the New Testament, it's, this is the way of Jesus for all followers of Jesus. This is not some super deluxe Christianity package that, you know, you can pay extra for if you want, but don't really need it. It's not that. It's modeled as the norm for those who follow Jesus. So, how do, how do we pursue or grow in meekness? How do I, you know, if you're, if you're thinking about yourself, how do I pursue or grow in meekness? Meaning, like, how, how do we make this practical for our lives? I, I, I read through Psalm 37. I went through the nine references where Paul speaks about meekness, and I'm reading them. And I consider the depth of what Scripture points to as evidence of meekness, and I realize I don't meet the mark. I don't always roll everything into the Lord. I'm not finding myself always delighting in the Lord. I'm not finding myself always refraining from being upset, right? I'm sure that you can identify. You're like, if you really get into it, you hear that, like if, if what you've heard, you're like, I, I, don't, I don't identify. I, I, don't, I can't attain to that level of meekness. And, and I think we have to guard against certain reactions when we, when we hear this, stuff like, I can't ever meet the mark, so why bother? Right? Progre progress of any kind in these qualities has incredible benefit in our lives. Even if you're progressing slowly, it has incredible benefit. The other thing that we can, you know, we can think stuff like, well, this is, this is just for some level of super Christians. These are, this is the super deluxe package. That's a lie from Satan. There's no such thing. It's a normative quality for followers of Jesus to pursue meekness. And I think also a big one for us is that we can, we hear this, if you're like me sometimes, and you can, you can feel like I have feelings of shame or guilt or inadequacy, like I don't meet the mark or, you know, this has happened or this has happened. And, and you, like, you just think, I just, I just, I just mess up. Like, like I, there's stuff in my life where I just mess up. Like, I don't meet the mark of this. That's all typical, typical strategies of Satan. Really, really typical stuff. You know what we have to do in those cases? Remind ourselves what the Word says. Rebuke it in the name of Jesus and say, Satan, you're a liar. Get out of my life. You're a liar. You're the father of lies. You lie, lie. I rebuke you. So alongside this, I want to just look a little closer to it, what Scripture reveals about Moses and Jesus. So the two individuals in Scripture that are referred to as meek. 
and how they displayed meekness, I think it's really, really helpful for us. So Moses, it's really the question of how did he react to accusation and betrayal. So Numbers 12 is where you find the story where he's married to a Cushite woman. Miriam and Aaron, his siblings, serve under him. They come and they start speaking against him. They're, they're, they're basically, they're mad that he married a Cushite woman. They, they've got prejudice against her. So they're speaking out against her. And then they begin to say stuff like, Who's to say that God only speaks through Moses? Who's to say that he's the one that has, well, can't we all speak and hear from God? That's the stuff they're saying. Sounds pretty familiar, actually. And, and so they question the, his ability to hear the Lord. Pretty deep betrayal, right? When you consider what would have been going on there. And it's at that point in the text that the text speaks of that Moses was the most humble man on the earth. So how did Moses respond? Did he lash out? Did he, did he feel the need to call all the people to gather, together to gather a big assembly and go, look at the sin of Miriam and Aaron. Look at what they've done. Look at how they're going against the Lord. No. Didn't do any of that. Did he expose their sin? No. I'm sure Moses experienced all sorts of emotions. I'm sure that he was tempted to do that. But when you read what happened, he trusted the Lord to defend him. And then, after that, so when the Lord does defend him, when Moses does trust him and the Lord moves to defend him, then he walked in mercy and grace toward Miriam and Aaron. When the Lord struck Miriam after that with leprosy as part of her disobedience for what she did, you know what Moses does in in response? He cries out to the Lord, Lord, heal her. He doesn't doesn't react in any sort of antagonism towards her. How about Jesus? How did did he react to accusations and betrayal? So consider the, the events surrounding his arrest and his crucifixion and his death on the cross. There's deep betrayal from Judas. There's the desertion of his disciples from him. They leave him. There's the denial three times from Peter that he even knew him. There's this deep injustice that came from the result of accusation and just outright lies against Jesus after he was arrested. He's taking all of this from the Jewish leaders, from the Romans. Once arrested, they spit on Jesus They hit him in the face. They threw insults at him. They jammed a crown of thorns on his head, put a purple robe on him, mocked him, spit spit at him some more, hit him some more. Just absolute physical abuse and betrayal. And at every turn, Jesus chose not to respond in the same manner. Did Jesus respond in anger? Did he try to get back at them? Nope. Not once. In fact, it was while on the cross. He's in excruciating agony. He's dying on the cross. And he looks and he says, Father, please forgive them. They know not what they do. They don't even know what they're doing. All those people that had betrayed him and accused him, and he says, forgive them, Father. That's a, that's a wow moment. In scripture. 
Another way that I, I said before that meekness has been described is strength under control. I think that really applies to Jesus. Paul, Peter wrote of, of Jesus' response in his first letter in his second chapter, and he says there, when, when they hurled insults, Jesus didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, it says there in 1 Peter 2.23, Jesus trusted his Father to defend him. And Peter says it's this Jesus that bore our sins, our sins, on the cross that we might live to righteousness. Which really means, really simple, we just desire to become more like Jesus. We desire to live like Jesus. Beatitudes are, are, are really, the, all of them, are, are ultimately a list of qualities, character traits, if you will, embodied by Jesus that we also are meant to embody. They are part of the character of those who follow the way of Jesus. And this is the example that we have. This is, this is how we can choose to cultivate meekness in our lives. And, and the evidence of meekness in our lives, when we, when, when we see meekness present in our lives, all that is evidence of is that the gospel of Jesus is taking root in our lives. And so, it really, it reminds us again of Jesus' kingdom manifesto, which we need to understand it for what it is and perhaps not what we've been led to believe. And what I mean by that is that Jesus' kingdom manifesto, his proclamation of the gospel, it's not a casual thing. It is incredibly deeply impacting for our lives. Meaning like, how do we understand, repent and believe the gospel? This is, this is foundational for our lives. When Jesus comes on the season, he says, repent and believe the gospel. That word there, repent, metanoia, it means to change your worldview and change your priorities. It means it's a wholesale change. It's a turning from everything else, and it's a turning to the way of Jesus. It, it's calling for a complete shift in our lives. And believe, that word when Jesus says believe, it means to fully trust the way of Jesus. That there is just this ultimate trust that I am putting in the way of Jesus. And so the kingdom manifesto, when we talk about that, it is a revolution taking place in our lives. And it can happen to anyone as they embrace the kingdom message that Jesus brings. Believe the good news. This is, this is the invitation to follow the way of Jesus. You know, I was, I was talking to um, someone the other day in ministry, and there is right now, there is a practical opportunity for people who want to go and teach English, people that, want, that desire to teach others, people who desire to be in the nations. There's an opportunity right now that you can be trained and released and sent into the Middle East right now to teach English. You, people, right now, we could be preparing people to be launched into the Middle East. There's opportunity to go with the good news of Jesus. 
So it's, as I mentioned before, it's in Matthew 29, sorry, Matthew eleven twenty nine, where we find Jesus referring to himself as meek. This is, this is where I want to end for today. Jesus says, I am gentle, I'm meek and lowly in heart, of heart. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. You will find rest. The yoke that Jesus is speaking of there is the yoke of meekness and humility. This, this is the invitation of Jesus. Embrace meekness and humility in your life. Learn from me. Become like me. That's the invitation. Jesus came in meekness and humility. He, he modeled it as a core quality of his way. He calls his followers to embrace it. One of the things that struck me about this, just thinking about this in the last while, is how Jesus refers to himself, how he identifies himself, how he sought to live and did live, and the extent even that, of the way that Paul spoke of it in the New Testament is that Jesus is coming back for a church that is humble. He's coming back for a church that is embracing meekness and humility. And so the question then is, how do we embrace this? It's actually really simple. It's through relationship and communion with Jesus. We take, you, you, we, all of us, we take on the qualities of those that we spend the most time with. The people that you spend the most time with are the people that you will take the qualities on. If we don't spend time with Jesus and follow his way that he modeled, then we actually can't expect the qualities that he embodied to be, become part of us. And so relationship and communion is essential for our relationship with Jesus. And so I want to I leave us something, something this morning. It's really simple yet really profound to walk out. And then that is that it's really about making spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices, spiritual habits, however you want to term that, a central part of your life. The spiritual habits, spiritual disciplines, they are given to us to lead us into communion with Jesus. These are qualities that come out of relationships with Jesus and his kingdom coming in our lives. You know, it's interesting, when talking about spiritual disciplines, John Mark Comer says, spiritual disciplines are actually spiritual warfare. We are doing spiritual warfare when we are engaging in the spiritual disciplines in our lives. And so, really simple, I want to encourage you this week. You say, you know, I, I, want, to, I want to learn how to become more like Jesus and embody his qualities. Take 10 minutes, 10 minutes a day, each morning, for silence and solitude. 10 minutes. No distractions, nothing. Just 10 minutes, you alone with Jesus. And in those 10 minutes, quiet your heart, 
Feel what's happening inside of you. Listen to what's happening inside of you. And invite Jesus to speak. Simply invite the presence of Jesus. There's a whole lot more. I'm not, you know, we could say so much more about this, and I won't at this point. But in that, here's a, here's a simple question to put towards to Jesus this week. In that one, one question. Where can I grow in meekness and humility in my life? Would you be willing, 10 minutes a day, silence and solitude with Jesus, saying and ask him, Jesus, where can I grow in meekness? Where can I grow in humility? And then just allow him to speak. Henry Nouwen, I had written down this quote a while back, and I, I, I literally just happened to see it this morning, and I was like, I, this is what he says about this. Solitude is not a private therapeutic place. Rather, Solitude is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self. Another, another spiritual discipline, just as we end, I want to encourage you to pursue. And, and this is, uh, yeah, just not only I want to encourage you to pursue. And, and I, want to, I want to talk about this more extensive at some point, but and that is fasting. I want to encourage you, if you want to see more of the kingdom of Jesus coming in your life, more of the Beatitudes coming and being present in your life, and you're like, I desire to embody this in my life, fasting is key. Fasting used to be, for hundreds of years, was a core practice twice a week for followers of Jesus. Twice a week. For hundreds of years, and we've, we've lost so much of this in our culture. And it was, it was specifically fasting food, right? Okay, we, we talk about fasting, all sorts of other stuff. That's not fasting. It's, it's abstinence. So I know we talk about, like, we'll fast this, we'll fast TV, we'll fast social media, we'll fast... Well, it's not fasting. It's, it's abstinence. Fasting is fasting food. We're, we're conditioned in the West to, to pleasure, to instant gratification, to all sorts of sensory appetites all the time around us. And, and this is why fasting is so key for us because it will, it, fasting at first will make you sad, it'll make you anxious, it'll even make you hangry, right? How many of you ever experienced that where you fast and you're like, I feel myself being hangry? Yeah, it's real. Because fasting reveals where we are still in bondage. Fasting, it's, it's an intentional decision to rely on the power of the Spirit. Training ourselves to be at peace even when we don't get our way. We train ourselves. Fasting, there's nothing like fasting to do that. I'll just leave you with this. Richard Foster he simply says, fasting reveals the things that control us. And so we give those up in a desire to have Jesus control us. So let's, let's pray. I want to I leave you with those things to put before you, to encourage you to pursue meekness. Father, we... 
We thank you for how you spoke to us today. We thank you for your word, Jesus. Lord, these are qualities that they, they aren't natural to us. Lord, we recognize that, that these qualities, these beatitudes are a result of you doing incredible work in our lives. And so Jesus, we ask that more and more and more of your kingdom would be coming in our lives, making us more like you, Jesus, shaping us and forming us to be more like you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do that in us this week, that as we spend time with Jesus, that you would be working in our hearts and our minds to make us more and more like you, Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name.